Our our, uh, Old Testament sermon text this morning is Psalm 19. If you would, please turn there in your Bibles with me and, and read along. Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor other words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, as we talk today about or listen to your word, Psalm 19, Lord, we pray for ears that can hear. Lord, you say that you have spoken and that you speak here in this psalm. And we pray that this psalm itself Uh, that you would speak through it as it is uh, declared to your people who you love. Uh, Lord, we ask that that you would, as you give us ears uh, in this service, that you would also help us to go forth from here with uh, open, newly, freshly opened eyes and ears. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In counseling, uh, there's one question that I hear perhaps more than any other in the counseling room, at least one question about God. And it's a question we see all over the Psalms. Um, It's a question David himself, who wrote this Psalm, has asked before. Why is God silent? Why is God silent? In times of of trouble, we often put on a strong face, and yet inwardly our souls cry out, God, why are you silent? In times of tragedy, we often share verses that we confidently with one another, and yet inwardly our hearts are nagging, God, what do you have to say to these things? Have you asked that before? Why are you silent? I know I have. Um, Some of you may be asking that now. 
David, as we, as I mentioned, has also asked that before. So we're all in the same boat here. Our psalm today, David speaks directly to that question, but he doesn't do it by saying, well, here's why God is silent. Um, Rather, in this psalm, David pushes back against that assumption of God's silence. He shows us, in fact, that the exact opposite is true. That God is speaking constantly, loudly, powerfully. In the, in the end, our question that we should be asking is not, why are you silent? But why can't I hear you? Psalm 19 shows us three ways that God speaks. The word of creation, the word of scripture, and the word, word incarnate. Okay, three ways that God speaks. The word of creation, the word of scripture, and the word incarnate. First, God speaks through creation. Verse 1 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Creation preaches. God has ordained the sky and all that is in it to proclaim His glory. Sun, moon, stars, planets, comets, clouds. These are God's ordained prophets in creation. These are the apostles he sent out with a message of his glory. And they do so, as verse 1 says, by, quote, proclaiming his handiwork. In other words, all of these things are preaching. We have a creator. Isn't he wise? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he glorious? The first words of creation, let there be light, can still be heard echoing through the light. The sun, moon, and stars. We weren't present at creation, but daily the sky gives us a reminder of what happened in Genesis 1. The sky is daily proclaiming, we have a creator. Isn't he wise? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he wonderful? Not too long ago, um, in March, Jess and I were in Dallas for her birthday. And uh, we visited Park City's Presbyterian. Some of you may have been there before. And uh, they happen to have an exhibit there of a, a well-known artist um, who I've heard speak before. Um, and we toured these paintings one by one. Um, and they were, they were a certain style of portrait of, of different people that this guy knows. Um, and and I, I'm not an art person, okay? But the beauty of these paintings were overwhelming. I mean, I had to look away from these paintings because of just how overly uh, overwhelming they were. I had to step into the bathroom and weep for a moment so nobody would see me doing it. I came away from that exhibit with such respect and gratitude towards Bruce Herman. Creation is meant to work the same way. Uh, where we see the beauty, we see the wonder of the earth, and we inevitably just turn to God and worship and gratitude. Saying, thank you, Father. Thank you, Creator. That's why John Calvin called the earth the theater of God's glory. That's what the earth is. Verse 2 goes further. It says, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. 
Okay, this is a, a Hebrew poet, poetic way of saying everything, day all the way to night, everything in creation is declaring the glory of God. It's not just the big things that preach God's glory. Every day, everything on the earth is pouring out speech. I want you to take a notice of that word pours out for a second that David uses. Day to day pours out speech. Two things about that. One, it's in the present tense. Okay, this is not Genesis 1, he poured out speech. This is in the present tense. This is an ongoing thing. Every day is pouring out speech about God. Every night. And second, this verb is lavish in its meaning. Okay, he didn't say that day-to-day is trickling out or day-to-day is, is speaking forth about God. Instead, he says it's pouring out. In the Hebrew, this has a sense of gushing forth. Speech gushing forth in the world around us, the knowledge of God just oozing out of everything, spilling over. Imagine that the world is just a giant Coca-Cola bottle that just got shaken up at creation and the top taken off. And just ever since, the glory of God is just overflowing. It's not just a creation that God spoke. He continues to speak through creation day by day, night by night. He does so lavishly. He's pouring out His glory, His wisdom, His power for all of us to see. So not only is God speaking always through creation, verse 4 tells us the voice of creation, quote, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So in other words, creation speaks everywhere. Okay, not just the land of Israel where David was, Not just Yellowstone National Park. Not even just in Norton Art Gallery, the gardens behind there, not too far from here. You can hear God speaking through creation from your front porch, in your oppressively hot backyard, uh, on your sidewalks in your neighborhood, your commute to work. Everything everywhere is teaching us the glory of God. After this service, when my sermon ends and you walk outside the doors of Brown Chapel, the oaks, the azaleas, the cicadas are going to be continuing the sermon where mine leaves off. When you drive home from church under sun and cloud, there's still a worship service going on all around you. This is what Isaiah means when he says the trees of the field clap their hands. In Psalm 98, when it says the mountains sing together for joy. Okay, God's glory does not cease to be proclaimed when man ceases to preach. This is why Jesus, whenever the Pharisees were saying, tell your disciples to be quiet. He said, I tell you, even if these people stop speaking, the very stones would cry out. Creation is always preaching the glory of God. Poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning put it this way. Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. In some, God is speaking always, everywhere through creation. But there's a problem. 
there's a problem. It's, it's, it's not with creation then. Okay, creation, yes, it's filled with thorns and thistles. Creation has been brought and subjected to a curse. Um, but even so, even though creation is groaning for redemption, even so, it's still fulfilling its calling for, to honor its creator. Now, the, the problem, you may have guessed it by now, is with us. As sinners, we need something more than just to hear the glory of God. The glory of a holy creator is terrifying to sinful creatures. By nature, our hearts, let's be honest, would prefer creation without the creator. Apart from the grace of God, when sinners like us hear the glory of a holy God, we do this. We shut our eyes, we cover our ears, pretend that he's not there. Because we shut him out, we end up doing what Paul says in Romans 1. We exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So we need something more than just the witness of creation saying that God is glorious. We need something that will overcome our heart's natural rejection of the glory of God. We need wisdom to help us see through the nonsense of worshiping created things. We need help loving something that by default we hate. We need help seeing the beauty of something that by instinct we are blind to. In short, we need grace. That's where we come to the second way God speaks, the word of Scripture. In verses 7 to 9, we see six different references to God's holy Scripture. The law, the testimony, verse 7. The precepts, the commandment, verse 8. The fear of the Lord and the rules, verse 9. Each one of these has its own nuance that we're not going to explore now for the sake of time, except to say this is Hebrew's way, Hebrew poetry's way of saying your Bible without being repetitive. So, as we saw in the first four verses of Psalm 19, through the word of creation, God speaks His glory. Now, in verses 7 and 8, we see through the word of Scripture, God gives us, He speaks His grace. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 again with an emphasis on this grace. I want you to listen for it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Okay, did you, did you hear it? Verse 7 is not saying, this, this is Scripture talking about the revival of the soul. Scripture actually revives the soul. Again, in verse 7, it doesn't say that this is a book of wisdom. It says that this Scripture actually makes us wise. Verse 8 doesn't say that Scripture tells us what and why to rejoice, but it actually causes our hearts to rejoice. Not that Scripture tells us what we should see, but actually makes our blind eyes see. 
To riff off John Bunyan's poem, Run, John, run, creation commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news scripture brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Through scripture, God gives grace. If you've ever come to the end of yourself, this is, this is very good news. Because you know that if God tells you what to do and gives you no power, doesn't cause you to walk in His ways, you're toast. If He doesn't change your heart within you, give up now. If you've ever gotten to the point of desperation in your fight against sin, this grace is a breath of fresh air because you know how powerless you are to change your heart. You can't make your heart change what it likes and doesn't like, what it desires and doesn't desire. Only grace can do that. If you've ever undergone sorrow upon sorrow, this grace is a welcome relief because you know how weak you are to withstand evil apart from Him. As He speaks through Scripture, God doesn't tell us what to change and how to change only. He actually changes us. Through Scripture. As he speaks through Scripture, God's grace does what we ourselves are unwilling to do and what creation is unable to do. There's no better place you can be to receive the grace of God than desperate and helpless. For God gives grace to the humble. Okay, now, what exactly do we mean? when we're talking about this grace God gives through Scripture. Um, If we're honest with one another, we've each had those times, probably lots of times, where in our helplessness, we seek God, and we don't come away with what we wanted, with the help that we believe we needed. We sought Him in desperation and has ended up seemingly no better off. Okay, so what, what exactly is God saying that He'll do for us through Scripture, and what is He not saying? What is He not promising? What can we trust here, and what should we not? So let's re- look at verses 7 and 8 a little bit further. Verse 7, reviving the soul, means that through Scripture, God will, make us, uh, God will help us love Him, help us walk in repentance, Help us bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that He will make us perfect all at once. Again, verse 7, making wise the simple, means that through Scripture, God gives us, makes us wise to navigate and able to navigate the circumstances of life. It does not mean that He will change our circumstances. Verse 8, rejoicing the heart means through Scripture, He'll be a refuge to us, helping us worship and rejoice in Him in a time of suffering and pain. It does not mean that He will take away our suffering or change our difficult emotions. Lastly, verse 8 at the end, enlightening the eyes. It means that through Scripture, God helps us see things the way that He sees them. He gives us a pair of lenses through which to see the world, understanding life and people, and especially God Himself as they really are. This does not mean that Scripture is an encyclopedia for every question that we have. Even so, Scripture is full of grace. 
In verse 10, David comes away from the grace of verses 7 and 9, utterly amazed at what God does through his word. Amazed by this grace that we just sung about that comes through the written word. And now in verse 10, he shows us that scripture is better than anything that creation can offer us. He says in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Okay, let's consider those two things, honey and gold. Gold and honey. First, all the gold in the world is not as valuable as the Bible in your hands or on the pew next to you. No diamond, car, house, land, boat, business, stock portfolio is worth more than the Bible that sits on your bedside table at home. You can be a king and have all those things, everything that that I just mentioned, and yet the poor man with his Bible is wealthier. Why? Because God does not speak saving grace through gold, but through Scripture. The Bible, God's written word, is in a category of its own. Now second, there's nothing in all the world that feeds the soul like Scripture. Honey was a delicacy in ancient times. Uh, A prized food for everyone, especially for royalty, who sort of hoarded it in that time. Um, Have you ever had fresh wild honey before? Just recently, I had some for the first time. The honeycomb was in all was with it, um, and I, I was—I'd never tasted it. Was you, you could taste the flowers? I'd never tasted flowers before. Likewise, go to the finest restaurants in New Orleans, New York, Paris, and you'll dine on the best food that the world can offer. Yet neither the finest wild honey nor world-class restaurants can make a meal that will feed your soul. Honey cannot satisfy the hungry and thirsty heart because as Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The best food, music, friendships, mountains, beaches, novels, movies, all these things that creation offers cannot speak to us like Scripture. Because of the way God speaks to us through Scripture, giving grace that feeds and satisfies the soul, God's written word is in a class of its own. So God speaks His glory through the word of creation. He speaks His his grace through the word of Scripture. And lastly, He speaks through His Son. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 puts it this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God speaks through His Son, Jesus, whom John calls the Word incarnate. In the introduction of John's Gospel, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. God fulfills the word of creation and the word of scripture by giving us his son, the word incarnate. In doing so, he makes both creation and scripture intensely personal. And Jesus does all sorts of other things through this, but this is what we'll focus on here as he fulfills creation and scripture. So first, let's see this in creation. How in the world, how does Jesus as the Word incarnate fulfill the Word of creation? Well, we get hints of this in verses 5 and 6. You can see David kind of reaching for this when he starts talking about creation in personal terms. He's reaching for the Creator behind the creation. He talks about the Son The sunrise as a bridegroom leaving his chambers at the beginning of the day. He speaks of the sun's daily path as an athlete or a warrior running his race in joy. G.K. Chesterton similarly, this is before his conversion he wrote this, speaks of how creation left him longing to know the Creator. He said, The grass seemed signaling to me with all its fingers at once. The crowded stars seemed bent upon being understood. The sun would make me see him if he rose a thousand times. In short, I had always believed that the world involved magic. Now I thought perhaps it involved a magician. And this pointed to a profound emotion always present and subconscious, that this world of ours has some purpose. And if there is a purpose, there is a person. I'd always felt life first as a story, and if there is a story, there is a storyteller. In Jesus, God gives us what creation cannot give us, himself. He gives us himself. In high school, I went on a snow skiing trip to Colorado. Um, I remember I was maybe 17 at the time, 18. I remember being at the very top of this mountain, uh, just taking the ski lift up and was about to ski down, but I I paused for a moment uh, to enjoy the view. It was was a very clear day, and I, I looked out and just for miles around in every direction were mountains that were covered with snow, that were majestic, that were beautiful. I remember for a moment being moved, and then suddenly I went numb. The feeling left. And it left because I had no one to praise. My delight in creation was stunted. It was, it was stifled and suffocated because I did not know the creator of those mountains and of that snow and even the creator of me. I couldn't tell him how beautiful everything was because we weren't on speaking terms. I couldn't say how good he was or how well he made the earth because I did not know the person behind it all. Chesterton also said the worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. That was That was me. And Jesus, the incarnate word creation, now points to him like John the Baptist, saying, that's that's him. That's the one I've been telling you about. Behold, 
the Son of God who made the world. God's speech through creation leaves us longing to know the person behind it all. His speech in His Son introduces us to that person. As far as fulfilling Scripture, the written Word, how does, how does Jesus do that? Well, it's, it's true that everything we know about Jesus, we know from our Bible. Okay, so these things are, are, are pretty intertwined. Um, you can't exactly separate the two, but at the same time, it is important to distinguish them. Jesus himself does this. We heard uh, Quinn just recently preach on John 5, uh, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and yet it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Similar to creation, Scripture is meant to lead us to a person. Genesis, Exodus, Psalms, Proverbs, Prophets, Gospels, Epistles, Revelation, all of these are not meant to simply provide religious history, doctrine to study, moral instruction to follow. The written Word of God is meant to lead us to the incarnate Word of God. Notice how in verses 12 through 14 of our psalm, David goes from this objective speech about Scripture that's out here, and suddenly it becomes very personal. Scripture leads him to interact with God as a person. He says, declare me innocent. He speaks of himself as your servant. Keep me back from presumptuous sins, he says. Let my, let my words be acceptable to you. O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. So God's speech in creation and His speech in Scripture is meant to lead us to God Himself. What this means is, is uh, Scripture is not some mechanical dispenser that we go up to, pull a lever, and receive our daily ration of grace. Okay, Grace does not work like an ATM. Scripture is pointing us to a person whose throne of grace we approach. A Father who is full of mercy, abounding in steadfast love for us. Scripture doesn't give us a self-checkout option like the grocery store, right? Where you can go in, get your, what you need, and check out without ever having to interact with a person. Now instead, Scripture makes grace requires that grace comes to us from a person, from the Son, from whom, as John said, we receive grace upon grace. We're not saved by obedience to a law. We're not saved by saying a prayer or even having the right doctrine. Okay, we're, we're forgiven by being made one with the person who died for sin. We're justified by being bound up with a person who obeyed the law perfectly. We're adopted because in the Son we have been planted, the Son of the only Father. We're given the Holy Spirit because we are in Christ in whom the fullness of God dwells, who gives the Spirit without measure. 
In short, all grace comes to us based on our connection to that person. All that God says in Scripture is meant to lead us to Jesus, to faith in Him. So, in conclusion, going back to our initial question, God is not silent. He's speaking. Do you hear Him? Are you listening? Are your eyes shut and your your ears covered? Are you willing to, to hear what He has to say? He's speaking to you through creation because He wants to give you His glory. Study, learn, get to know creation. He's speaking to you through Scripture because He wants to give you His grace. Dive into Scripture. Study it. Study it with your family, your spouse, with one another. And lastly, He's speaking to you in His Son because He wants to give you Himself. Sit at the feet of the Son. Listen to Him. We conclude by praying verse 14. Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Lord, we do pray that you would take these things that I have said, these words of clay, and that you would breathe life into them. Lord, that you would show us all uh, in a fresh way your glory, your grace, and especially yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.